Welcome back to Comics Over Time, where we shine a spotlight on classic comic stories and the TV shows or big screen blockbusters they inspire. We'll look to connect the dots from the comic book panels to moving pictures, examining where the adaptation followed the comics closely and where they decided to go their own way. When we're done, we try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? My name is Dwayne, and as always, is my good buddy Dan. Dan, welcome. Hey there, Dwayne. Oh, man. Dear dear listeners, this week you are in for a treat. Uh, we actually have a movie that features a full dozen MCU heroes. And so in order, in order to properly cover this Captain America Civil War film, we've actually brought in a bit of help. Our friend Mike, huge MCU fan, and he's actually hosting my son and I here in Chicago this weekend uh, while we're attending C2E2 down at the convention center. So... Mike, great to have you here on the show. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to bringing a perspective that is unique to this show, yes. in which I have very minimal knowledge of the comic book content and only the MCU content. Well, and that's where that's where Dwayne was. Yes, about a year ago. That's uh, was kind of the uh, the initial conceit of the podcast was I wanted to bring him into the comic world uh, by starting out with Moon Knight, and then we proceeded on from there. So, no, it should be a lot of fun. Um, this movie we rewatched last night. Dwayne, did you rewatch it as well? And just, uh, I watched just recently I, as well. I watched it this morning, and oh boy, I forgot how much I liked this film. This is this is just a fantastic film. But there is a lot to cover for this film. Yes. This is this is like Winter Soldier on steroids. That's how how much is going on in there. So before we do that, though, we're going to dive in and talk about some comic book news. And you you were really excited this week. You retweeted some information. Scott Pilgrim anime has been ordered by Netflix, and it is going to feature the original film cast. This is, yes. this is uh, apparently not a drill. It is happening, according to uh, Edgar Wright, who, who posted yep. about it on Twitter. Absolutely. They, they've they got basically everybody coming back. Um, something like 12 or 15 characters from the original original show. And Chris Evans even talked about it today in his panel at C2E2. Uh, that evidently the whole cast and crew were so close from that that they still have an email chain that every few days or weeks somebody's actually posting and they're still talking about stuff and, and like being friends. So... There was just a, a note posted a few weeks or a while ago to that saying, hey, you guys want to come back and do this? And they all just said yes immediately, and away they go. So I'm really excited about it. It sounds like it's going to be either new stories or it's going to be an extension of the story because the original Scott Pilgrim movie is like a two-hour film covering six books worth of content, and there's a lot of stuff that had to be dropped out or sort of just compressed to make it work. So there's a good chance, if nothing else, we're going to get an extended version of the events in the Scott Pilgrim comics, or potentially just new adventures. So, although I, yeah, at least at least seven of them are dead currently, so we're going to have to deal with that if it's new adventures, how they're going to come back after they've that, already been turned to coins. So that is true. Yeah, let us know. So Mike, the are you a fan of Scott Pilgrim at all, or 
I definitely enjoyed the movie. Um, I didn't have any of the you know background content, but it, I'd be interested to see if they inlay some of this information to you know kind of expand each story. Mm -hmm. Have something that you can go back and say, hey, pause the movie at you know 42 minutes in, go watch this episode now because now you're going to get more stuff. Um, but my guess is that's not going to be the format. But I I don't know because a lot of it is. They did most of the story, just just compressed a lot of it. So, but yeah, I've got got Dwayne on uh, on tap to read the comics anyways. One of these days, so we're gonna have to do a a grand Scott Pilgrim watch when when the the actual show comes out, movies and comics and TV shows. So Scott Pilgrim extravaganza. Yeah, it's probably it's, gonna be a while though. Even though they say yeah. you know it's imminent. It's not imminent. It's yes. going to be a while. That, before we that means it's been greenlit, which means they can start yeah. planning for when it's when production's going to start, probably. But, uh, get ready to sit down in 2025 and enjoy this show. So anyway, so so tell me about the disaster of the week, the, the Marvel <laughs> weirdness of the week. Yes. What's going so the, on with so Marvel Unlimited, man? The last couple of weeks, we've been trying to highlight new books that are coming out on Marvel Unlimited. So if you have the subscription, you can check out some new books that are available this week. Uh, I went to the website, marvel.com, to try and find out what was going to be available for you this week. And nothing shows up in their list uh, for 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 what new books are coming out. They have the regular books list. There's 17 showing that are going to be showing up in stores this week. So if, if you're headed to your comic book store, there's a couple different Spider-Mans, a couple different Ghost Riders. There's a Captain America Sentinel of Liberty, uh, some Immortal X-Men. There's a whole bunch of books that are going to be coming out in stores. But the calendar for what's going to be available new in Marvel Unlimited this week is completely empty. As a man who's done much database work over the uh, the decades, I can tell you it looks to me like somebody made a mess up when they were entering the data, or they've got some sort of problem because none of the following weeks show anything either. So right now, just the the upcoming Marvel Unlimited stuff is broken. That said, I did see a number. I went to a, a show on the Carnage and Venom stuff coming up, and I've never really been a Carnage and Venom guy. But the panel was really interesting, and there's a lot of people who are, it appears, very talented and very excited about doing this stuff, working on those. So that would be something I'm going to be looking on going into Unlimited and catching up on, is actually seeing some of the, evidently there are like 50 different people who've got symbiotes running around the Marvel Universe, including a T-Rex. So <laughs> I have to go find out what's going on. It appears to be completely just, insane out there so anyway yeah so dan recommendation for this week i you're in chicago so um conventions man i'm recommending conventions mike got to go saturday for a while and got to go and hang out and it's cool for families it's cool for just anybody wandering i took my son he's 18 so we were wandering around uh doing stuff I got to see a bunch of creators that I really enjoyed uh, the work of when I was younger. Got to buy a bunch of new stuff by people who I'm really excited to to read and kind of discovered some new creators. I will be over the next week or so, actually, as I'm reading through these, 
I try to go out on Twitter after a con and just post some reactions and, and sort of short uh, reviews of the books I've been reading, kind of to, to get some more information out there about some of these folks that you don't necessarily see the names of regularly, but uh, but there's some really cool books that uh, I've already been reading and I've had time after I bought them here this weekend. All right, and with that, shall we dive into the discussion about Captain America Civil War? You ready for this, Mike? Yes. Excellent. Mike? Big drop in. <laughs> Mike is just relaxing right now, trying to figure out what kind of nuttiness is going on here. But, um, yeah, head on in. Take us away to the film facts. All right. Mate. So, but first, we will... We will preface this discussion by saying this is a deep dive discussion about Captain America Civil War. If you have not seen the film recently, I highly recommend you go and watch this film. That way, some of the stuff that we're talking about might make a little more sense. I definitely feel, feel like I picked up a bunch of stuff watching it this time that I did not pick up the last time. So this is your spoiler warning. Despite the book, the movie coming back, coming out in 2016, we're going to be talking about in depth uh, the plot points as well as discussion about actors and, and and various things about the film. So if you do not want to have that information spoiled for you before getting a chance to see the film, definitely stop right now and come back to us once you've watched the film. That said, your film facts for Captain America, Civil War. The tagline for the film is Divided We Fall. It was released May 6th, 2016. It has a runtime of 147 minutes. A very long film. Box office worldwide, 1.153 billion with a B. Domestically, it brought in just over $400 million. That's on a budget of $250 million. That is a hefty size budget. It has an IMDb rating of 7.8 out of 10, which actually matches Captain America Winter Soldier. It stars, well, pretty much everybody. Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, Sebastian Stan, Anthony Mackie, Don Cheadle, Chadwick Boseman, Jeremy Renner, just to name a few. It is directed by Anthony and Joe Russo, who directed Captain America Winter Soldier, and were actually hired on three months before Winter Soldier premiered because of how well the movie Winter Soldier tested. And the screenplay is by Christopher Mackis and Stephen McFeely. So those are your film facts for Captain America Civil War. There you go. So 1.2 billion is is that a decent total for a film? I'm I'm is, I can't remember. That is that is pretty good. It is uh, the fourth I think film in the uh, MCU film to gross over a billion dollars. Yep. So yep. that is that is that's that's pretty good. And uh, 714 million was where. Winter Soldier ended up, so this went substantially over uh, where Winter Soldier ended up. And when you're talking a billion, it's not the fourth MCU chronologically. It's one of four MCU movies total that's gone over a billion. Correct. Like with the two, I believe that's I believe Infinity that's War and Endgame, and then I'm not sure what the the other the one. First would be. Avengers movie, I think. Went first over. Avengers. Okay. It's the team movies. Um, 
very cool very cool indeed yeah the and and that's not even with your stars you're not even naming all the heroes that are in it because no tremendous numbers of characters in this movie probably like yeah. 15 or 20 named characters who uh who have yeah. significant screen time yeah and uh, yeah i mean i didn't mention paul bettany i didn't mention elizabeth olsen they all played key roles in this as well there's just and i didn't even mention david Pruel, who is Helmet Zemu, who is the the antagonist of this film. That I mean, there is just mm -hmm. there is so many people in this film. It is and Paul Rudd too. Mm -hmm. Or Paul Rudd as well. Yes, there is literally it is ev every every yeah, this is the introduction <laughs> of Tom Holland as well. There is literally everybody is in this film, yep. and, and you could be like naming stars for days. Uh uh from this and yet it on yep. Oddly, it doesn't seem either like any of them really shortchanged, though. Somehow no. it all still works, which is an astonish, kind of an astonishing thing that, that credits not only the directors, but the fact that, you know, a lot of these are really big name actors who are willing to take roles that are supporting or complementary in a way where uh, the MCU sort of does make people kind of get along and, and play play well in the sandbox in a way that I don't know a lot of franchises or, or movies are able to do. Yeah. Anthony Mackie actually described this film as the Avengers part 2.5. And I, and I think that's a very apt mm -hmm. description. And, and it's because it, like I said, you could literally just name, keep naming off people who, who would have, you know, top two, top three billing in most any other film that are, that are, that are in this film. And you, you just have yep. to really the in, infinity to war prequel yep yes this and, and the this film is a great follow-up and we'll talk about this to winter soldier but also is a great prelude into infinity war and and end game yeah you get just a little bit with the with the jewel even from the vision there so right. there we go so, so dan we we usually do a recap for this there is, there's just a little bit going on, just like there was in Winter Soldier. It's amazing because it's not just the number of people. It's the number of scenes and the number of plot lines and the number of plot threads that are all sort of circling and, and a lot of things come back. Like, you know, you see characters who are returning from previous movies. You see interactions. Things are sort of coming together from all of the previous movies it's like just trawling the previous movies of the mcu all into one big pile and then sifting through it and so there's a lot going on so i've i've prepared a recap this is not comprehensive so if your favorite moment is not in here i i apologize but here's here's what we've got again like Dwayne said if you haven't watched it recently this one's really worth a rewatch I think not only because it's a great story, but also from a standpoint of the direction and the cinematography and everything, it's just a really, a really solid movie overall. It looks great, um, well-paced, everything else. But we start this one out actually with a flashback. It's a scene where we see Bucky Barnes assassinate two people while stealing a briefcase with like five little packets in it. Back in present day, we see the Avengers attempt to stop Crossbones from stealing a biological weapon, 
but they actually end up, while they do technically stop crossbones, also destroying a building, resulting in significant civilian casualties. With this and the fact that we'd had quite a lot of quite a lot of problems in Sokovia in the previous movie as well, the UN actually reacts to some of the concerns people have about costume vigilantes and the Avengers in specific by enacting something called the Sokovia Accords. These would actually require heroes to be registered and to be supervised by authorities. So that's kind of the setup to this. And yeah. Wayne and I just read this last week. We're gonna we're gonna see this as similar to what was in the comics, but it's different. So yes. Dwayne, tell me tell me where you thought this went as far as similarities and differences. So this is this is definitely different than what we were in the comics that last week, but it is very faithful, I think, to the original idea behind uh, Civil War. And in fact, Joe Russo actually called this. The, they wanted the essence of civil war to be used. They talked about the concept of registration, the notion of heroes needing needing to either be monitored or controlled because their power can be scary. And and they they talked about how expanding on that in a lot of ways, superhero registration could be a political issue, and we didn't want it, the conflict of the movie to solely exist at that level. But there's definitely a lot of political sort of issues here as well. I mean, you see Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross coming back all the way from, from actually the Incredible Hulk in 2008. And, and you know, he's now Secretary Secretary of State. And he, he he's definitely, like, mm -hmm. he's very anti-superhero. And he is now in a position where he can politically maneuver to try and put the Avengers in a box that he really couldn't do as just this general within, within the armed forces. And so you have that going. You also like, there are pieces of like the civil war books that I definitely, you see in this movie, you see the grieving mother uh, who, who is, you know, lost her son who is over in Sokovia. And we get a, a more detailed backstory from, from Tony Stark when he's talking about this you have Cap's distrust of the agendas of, of who might end up overseeing them. You have heroes reluctantly picking sides and then kind of crossing over as, after, you know, things, you know, divided allegiances. The, these, these people have been in, have been friends. They've been in fights. They've, you know, they've worked together. You see Scarlett Johansson is, as Black Widow is, is on both sides and, and she ends up, really kind of, kind of taking Widow. it yes yes yep. and and in fact it sort of sets up the black widow movie down the road because of her kind of playing both sides in this movie as well because ross goes after her and as well so there's there's a lot here that is the basis for or has basis in the comics that we read last week but it's it's more than that it's kind of the essence it's the here, here's what you showed me on the page taken to the next level. Yep. And now, Mike, you haven't read the comics, but like the, the way they handled registration and the idea of it and everything, there was nothing at all really confusing about that. It made perfect sense where people were coming from with their motivations, that they wanted these people controlled, where the heroes were coming from. Were there any of those things that bothered you or that you had questions about or 
Well, what it really kicked in was just evaluating the philosophic backgrounds and the, you know, the philosophies between the the two main characters, mm -hmm. Iron Man and, and Captain America. Whereas Captain America seemed to be taking more of a, um, you know, Plato's Republic, where you talk about the, the flaws of democracy, of uh, where the will of the majority can cause issues when it's led by a majority of right. uh, folks who are, are duped or whatnot. Um, he, you know, he'd be siding with the uh, the philosopher kings, so to speak, uh, in that situation where what's right is right. And of course, we're looking at all the books right here. We've got mm -hmm. Kant and Plato and uh, Aristotle. Um, we could get into all of the um, ethics behind it, uh, it, but Iron Man seems to have this very paternalistic, like I want this overarching, um, you know, government to control us and regulate us, and we feel that, mm -hmm. you know, that that should be the top priority. And I think now we're going to get to main points later in the show, but the two main characters from, you know, our hero's perspective both show that the vigilantism is what they go for in the end. Um, but I was kind of viewing it more from the general geopolitical standpoint and the way we make decisions from a political standpoint and different um, viewpoints there. Uh, yeah, that's kind of how I'm putting it down as they were lining those up. Yeah. Well, that, to me, it, it came down in the movie, I think, even a little cleaner. In the, in the comics, it gets pretty murky at times yeah but it but iron man seems very much like he is on a pragmatic path where he's like this is gonna happen let's make it as good as we can whereas as cap really is more idealistic he's like there are certain you know when it comes from the when he's at the funeral um where you know um during the eulogy she says that one of the things is you know you can you can compromise where you can but when you can't then you just stand for it. Well, Cap's origin comes from fighting. No, nope. well, it's fighting Hydra, but it's Adolf Hitler, Nazi Germany, seeing the will of of governments take on forms that you don't want to see governments take morally. So yeah, it's it's interesting to see how it kind of all starts out, but the registration stuff, you know, it it's kind of a train they get on, and so Stark and Rogers split. On whether they're going to support the Scovia Accords, Stark goes goes along. Rogers refuses to participate. So at the signing conference, someone who looks suspiciously like the Winter Soldier then sets off a bomb that kills T'Chaka of Wakanda, sending his son T'Challa out on a hunt for vengeance as the new Black Panther. Um, Rogers sees not only all the world's governments but also T'Challa heading off trying to not just catch but probably kill his old friend. And he decides he's going to bring in Barnes first. But that doesn't necessarily go off without a hitch. They end up destroying <laughs> a lot of property, injuring more than a few guys who probably just wanted to do their job and go home to their families and instead got kicked in the head by Captain America. Um, and in the end, we've got a big chase in the freeway and they all end up getting apprehended. So that was not all for the best. Um, what did you think of Cap's behavior during this part of the movie? I mean, it makes sense. Based on everything they set up in Winter Soldier, it makes total sense. He is, he has a soft spot for Bucky Barnes. And he, like, he's even told by Sharon, Sharon Carter, it's shoot to kill. That they're, 
they're going in and they're going to take him and and it's going to be over and he wants to to pre- he want he wants to get to him first to ensure that he doesn't get killed and so that whole scene of them in there like you see bucky barnes and he is not the winter soldier but he's not bucky either he is mm-hmm. something else and like he he feels the weight of everything that he's done but at the same time he doesn't want to be killed and and like obviously rogers doesn't want him to die either and so you have this the 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 uh the you know the stairway scene where mm-hmm. he's like tell him don't kill anybody but at the same time they're hurting people pretty badly and, and, and that sort of thing as well yeah i i am i am torn I'm not pleased with Cap's behavior during this portion. No, and in it's, fact, it's hard to justify. His behavior during much of this movie, he becomes a guy who is kind of the ugly American, just believes that he's right, and he just does whatever he happens to figure he needs to because he's right. You know, I mean, but he, doesn't Iron Man do the same thing? Yes, Iron Man's terrible in this movie too, <laughs> which is part of the fun of it. I mean, they they both take on very heroic roles and they both take on very terrible roles and i think it's one of the reasons the movie's so strong is you've got two two main characters who you can both empathize with their motives and condemn their motives and condemn their let's you can empathize with their motives and condemn their actions actions, i think that's the easiest way to explain how i feel about both of these yahoos through most of this movie is that I get that they both have a valid viewpoint, but they really need to work on implementation, you know? Hence a thousand years of moral philosophic debate. There you go. Yeah. And all of which they throw out and just start punching at the very first possible option. So that's what makes an action film. I guess it is. So, um, but in any case, so they're all, they're all arrested. Barnes is hunkered down in this big cage. Uh, and he's visited by a psychiatrist who we've actually seen before in the movie in little bits and pieces, sort of gathering information, torturing people, killing people, making holes in walls to grab out secret books that have got stars on them that look weirdly like the star on his arm, that sort of stuff. The psychiatrist actually activates the Winter Soldier protocol by causing, well, during some sort of um, shutdown he calls, causes in the facility. It allows him to actually get the information he needs out of Bucky and also to have Bucky help him to escape by causing a diversion. So we find out in a little while that the bomber slash psychiatrist is actually a guy by the name of Helmut Zemo. Now, comics fans know Zemo, Baron Zemo, been around for a long time. Uh, But here he's slightly different because he's a standard sort of, you know, somebody who worked within the, the Hydra sphere during the comics in the mcu he's actually a guy who works in sokovian like security services whose family is killed by sort of incidental damage while the avengers are playing around with their robot in sokovia and wrecking the city right so cap and his team take off for the base where zemo's headed but they need transportation this leads to a massive fight out at the airport where six different heroes face off on each side. The newly recruited Spider-Man comes in on Stark's team, while Cap adds in Ant-Man on his crew. 
Things are destroyed repeatedly and completely, especially when Ant-Man turns into Giant-Man and falls on an airplane and this sort of stuff. It's it's really quite a mess. It's also a pretty cool scene, I have to yeah. say. Um, at the end of it, Cap and Bucky take off in a Quinjet with the Black Panther sort of in his jet in, in hot pursuit. The rest of Cap's team is actually arrested and imprisoned on this high-security prison called the Raft, where Stark is able to visit, talk to Sam Wilson, and convince him to give away the location where Bucky and Cap are headed because he convinces him he's a friend and he wants to help. So, what, what do we think about the big fight scene, the introduction of the introduction of our man, our man Spider-Man, all the rest? This is Tom so, Holland's first appearance. And to make a Seinfeld reference, you yada, yada, yada over one of the key things in this. Did it's that this is the first time that Spider-Man is introduced without killing Uncle Ben. <laughs> Uncle Ben is still dead. Sure. He's dead, but he they is. didn't kill him. They, they didn't, didn't spend time killing Uncle Ben. We just have Spider-Man. Yes. And a very, very young Aunt May. Very, very still, still nice. Weirds me out. But um it is kind of it is kind of amazing that they brought in a high a high-end character like that just as sort of a, a quick introduction. And then did the same with Black Panther in the same movie. Mm-hmm. You know, these are two guys who went on to have two of the biggest films in the MCU in, in like the next couple of years. And they're just sort yes. of dropped in as, hey, why don't you yeah. just meet this guy in this movie with our other 1,500 people, you know? It, it is it is actually amazing seeing that because I, again, did not remember that. And then you see the shot of the back of Chadwick Boseman and you're just like, oh, crap. And, and mm-hmm. then the same, you, you know, you see Tom Holland walking in the hall with the, with the DVD player and, and he walks in on Aunt May and, and Tony Stark, you know, sitting there talking. And it's just, I thought these, the introductions of both these characters were very well done and highlighted each character very well. I mean, mm-hmm. you had, you saw what T'Chaka, T'Challa's father, as well as T'Challa himself. And you see a little bit of their interaction and, and it's, and it's quite, quite something how you don't really know who these people are. You have like the Wakandan delegation that ends up getting killed in the building during that initial crossbones fight. And so there's some condemnation and some things Mm -hmm. that, that were happening as a result of that. But like, even through all that T'Chaka is like, we need to work together. We need to come to a solution and all this. And then all of a sudden the building blows up and, you feel for T'Challa right, like right away, because his dad is dead, lying there on the mm-hmm. ground, and and so you completely understand his 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 wanting to avenge his father's death. And Sp- Spider Man, that introduction is like, if you think of like a teenager as Spider Man, which is what Peter Parker is supposed to be in a lot of cases. I cannot think of a better way to have him like mm-hmm. be shown off, like over talking and being like in awe of all these people that he is like supposed to be helping as well as going up against. The, these were both just fantastic introductions. I still, I was talking to Mike last night when we were watching and my, my favorite moment probably in this film, and it has been since I first saw it is during the fight at the airport 
there's a point where Spider-Man is chasing the Winter Soldier. And he finally catches up with him, and the Winter Soldier tries to throw a punch. And Peter just catches his fist and, like, turns his arm to kind of look at it. And he's like, oh, that's a cool arm. And you can just see that yeah. this scrawny little kid is actually stronger than the Winter Soldier. And he has no idea how to use his powers, but he's yeah. ridiculously overpowered. You know, all these all these big burly dudes wandering around punching each other. And this kid could literally take them all out, probably, if he put his mind to it. But he's too busy talking and playing, you know, with, with the webs and stuff. So, you know, if, if they'd have just put Uncle Ben as a UN delegate, they could have wrapped all of this up and had all their <laughs> sadness in one. And then you could have had Uncle Ben and we'd have T'Chaka all at the same time. But this is the point in the movie mm -hmm. that you and I talked about yesterday where this movie has packed so much stuff into a movie. Mm -hmm. it, it, there's so much content in this. But the brilliance of this movie and why I think I enjoy it so much is they don't waste time, but yet somehow none of the storylines feel rushed. They find a way to make you move at the pace of the movie in a very fast way, like they have a pitch clock going, oh, I'm sorry, that's the wrong, wrong yep. conversation. That's from my baseball podcast. Um, they, they are able to move through at a very good pace and nothing feels rushed, but somehow one hour in you're like how did we go from the beginning of this movie to where we are now so quickly and you never stop and, and feel like you were pushed through and, and you still have another hour to go through and you're like where is this going to end up in another hour as well so yep. speaking of speaking of t'challa in this film he actually in the initial drafts had a much smaller uh role in this film and didn't even appear in costume as the writers intended to put more focus on Spider-Man. However, there did appear to be a point where Sony and Marvel were not going to get the permissions ironed out for Spider-Man to actually appear in this film. So the Black Panther role was beefed up significantly. Then the uh, back and forth between Sony and Marvel ended up concluding and working out, and they decided that because T'Challa played this really important kind of third, third party, neutral party, non-Avenger party to this whole Avengers kind of back and forth that they left his role in kind of the way it, it ended up being. So you and, and Spider-Man ended up getting a, a much smaller role, the role that we ended up seeing in this film. And I, and I think it ended up working out really well. In, in that I think we got enough of Spider-Man to really kind of appreciate kind of the mm -hmm. introduction of Tom Holland and actually kind of make us really salivate towards, uh, you know, Homecoming, the first the first Spider-Man film. But it also, I think, really set up well everything that ended up happening at the end of the film, the post credit scene with, with, with Bucky in Wakanda and really setting up that first... Uh, Black Panther movie that ended up being such a such a powerful film in its own right. Going back to the intro you gave of all the stars in this, we forgot about Oscar winner Marissa Tomei and her appearance. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. There are a lot. And and during all of this, by the way, Cap and Bucky have been on a long flight somewhere heading up towards the Arctic Circle in Russia or something. The like slowest that. flight from Germany to Russia that has ever existed. <laughs> We, we did talk about the fact that what's also amazing is 
while they were flying there, the other like Avengers were arrested. They were processed and taken to the raft. They were put into their cells. Tony was able to fly out there and get permission to go and talk to them. He talks to the Falcon, then gets out from the raft and flies to Russia and comes in about five minutes behind <laughs> Yes. The world's slowest Quinjet, somehow or another. So I believe I, I, I pointed this out yesterday. Yes. And your comment to me was, don't think about it. Yeah. Because so Dan, don't think about it. I have no, I can't, <laughs> I can't not think about it now, thanks to you. But I have no excuse for how this happens. It makes no sense whatsoever. But we're just going to go with it. So anyway, Zemo's actually gone up to this base, uh, kind of a frozen, abandoned base. And when he gets there, we see there's five frozen super soldiers created from the five bags of super serum that were uh, in the briefcase that uh, that we saw at the beginning of the movie. Um, those soldiers evidently had gone bad, had been uncontrollable, primarily because they were created from some of Russia's biggest, baddest mercenaries. And as we learned in the original Captain America movie, the serum just enhances who you are. So if you take a killer and give them a super serum, they just become a super killer. So these guys had to be put away because they just couldn't be controlled. He actually just puts a bullet through each of their heads because he doesn't really want the world to have to deal with these people at all, let alone any of these other heroes. Uh, when Cap, Bucky, so Tony, and T'Challa all sort of arrive, he then incites a fight by showing Stark that Bucky was actually killing Stark's parents in that car that night um, out on out on the road. There's a massive throwdown where Stark is attempting to get at Bucky. Eventually, uh, he is beaten down in probably one of the more impressive fights in the MCU when Stark and Cap and Bucky are all kind of going at each other in this sort of antechamber off of the thing. And then once it's all done, T'Challa is outside talking to Zemo, stops him from killing himself, which is an important moment for T'Challa because while you say he's the third party with all these Avengers, he literally has been after vengeance the entire movie. He is yes. kind of the Avenger in this movie in a lot of ways yes. because of his, his father. But when he is given the chance to actually take vengeance on the man who killed his dad, he prevents him from killing himself and takes him back to face justice instead. Um Bucky is returned to his suspended animation to keep him from being a danger. And Cap breaks his team out from the raft and they go on the run. And there's your end of uh, Captain America Civil War. It's a whole thing, man. Yeah, there's it, it is. It, it is a lot. And. Yeah, there there is lots of different minutiae point or details there that you could have included but i think that that's a, a decent summary for for what ev everything that happened uh there are entire there are entire plot points i could have included that aren't yes. in here <laughs> right um so i want to i want to talk about like zemu's plan here because i think let's if this, if you think about it, as I'm thinking about this, and as we learn, kind of at the end of the film, as he's, you know, divulging this, the 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 information or showing the video, basically of of Bucky killing Stark's parents, and then kind of the discussion that he has 
with uh, T'Challa before attempting to to kill himself. I have to think that this is one of the more perfect plans a a villain has ever had against against the Avengers because he's not super powered by any stretch of the imagination. And in fact, he notes others that have had superpowers have gone up against the Avengers and failed. And, you know, he, he, he recognizes that these guys are all kind of guys and gals, I guess, are, are kind of egomaniacs that are kind of just this match about ready to explode. And you just need to apply the right amount of pressure and, and this powder keg can go off. And it and it's funny, kind of that that go between with with Everett Ross and Ross talks about how how you know they basically defeated him and that his plan failed and he's like, did it fail? I mean, ha- half the team is on the run and in hiding, and the other half is is very fractured. I mean, like Tony mm-hmm. doesn't really trust Vision because of what you know. Vision ends up shooting. Uh, Rhodey right out of the sky and causes him to have to to basically learn how to walk again. And, and so even the the parts that are still kind of considered Avengers are not really uh, on each other's Christmas lists, as it were. So it is yep. it is really something this plan, and 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 it is it is not kind of the hack and slash punch punch a plan. But I think it is a an incredibly brilliant plan. I think if you study the history of destabilizing countries and de- you know that kind of stuff, this is probably the most real plan you see out of any villain in mm-hmm. a Marvel movie. You know, a- aliens taking over with magical stones and snapping away half the you know people. I'm not saying that can't happen, but it's less tangible because we can see instances of what Zemo does in throughout history of the world. Mm-hmm. Well, and that idea that that really, you know, a group like Avengers have so much power that if you if you take them on and you try to present some sort of external threat, some sort of external force to try and break them, they're just going to get stronger to an extent. And instead, what he decided to do, he's like, if you can break it from within side, then it's then it's permanently broken. And it it really is a good plan. It's also interesting that if you think about it, the original Avengers movie from way back in the day, Tony Stark is the last man standing at the end of this who's still an Avenger. Because Thor and Hulk are gone. Cap and Hawkeye and Black Panther or uh, and Black, Black Widow are all on the run. So he is completely alone. The The original Avengers team he saved the world with is either just gone or has turned on him. So, yeah. it's It was powerful, though, I think because, again, you've got a villain who has a very reasonable gripe. You've got that mom who's got a very reasonable gripe. And yet I think even some of the people who are urging registration also have to admit you know, though, we'd all be dead from an alien invasion if you hadn't been here to save us. Right. So 
there is kind of this weird what have you done for me lately kind of thing going on that maybe yeah. people aren't really looking at the big picture here um but nonetheless it it, it does make sense that people who have that much power folks would worry about it and so I do think real is, like Mike put it, is a good way to think in some ways of the way Civil War, both in the comics and in the movies functions, is looking at how people in a in the real world would react to having folks with these abilities walking around, essentially gods walking around among them, you know? And as Vision point out, pointed out in the movie, an ever-increasing amount of that, mm-hmm. with an ever-increasing amount of villains to go after them. and bad things happening yep that is correct so let's let's talk about the evolution of tony stark and steve rogers because i think this is fascinating where if you think about where these two characters start when when it comes to like their introduction into the mcu versus the role they end up taking in this film it's mm-hmm. almost counter what you would expect because it's you have Tony flipped. St- it, it, because you have Tony Stark as the guy that you know I've privatized you know peace and yeah, and his thumbing his nose yep. yeah I, you know he's thumbing his nose at Congress he's thumbing his nose you know at at everybody that wants to 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 see the Iron Man suit everything like this and and he ends up being the guy that's like as you said pragmatic about this he's like look, there is, this is going to happen and it's going to happen this way, or it's going to happen something in a far worse way. And so we should get ahead of it and try and work within the confines that are more reasonable. And then you have Rogers who born out of the military, a man taking orders and being kind of almost the propaganda piece when it comes to you know, do what you're told, follow the government, be the the you know, be the be the hero America needs, and he's saying no, this isn't right. He's seen what can happen if you just blindly follow orders. I mean that that's I think where the whole Winter yep. Soldier part came from, and it is you know he is he he is idealistic just like he is in the in the comics. But it is it is it is weird because it just it it it's just surprising when you when you think about where these characters start to where they end up. But it also makes perfect sense given given what we've seen of these two on screen. So well, I think both of those have their pre the movies that each one of them has individually beforehand feeds into that. I think Winter Soldier yeah. is is what pushes Cap away from being you know raw raw government. And and Iron Man two pushes him away from the privatization where he sees another competitor coming out and trying to do the same thing, um, and and that's where the flip happens leading into this movie. Um, I would also point out that the conflict between the two of them has both large scale but also petty level stuff going on as well. With <laughs> yes. Daddy's boy Tony Stark having a beef with. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Cap from day one because he was his dad's friend. And, you know, he has that dad loved you more than he loved me, you know, yeah. 
attitude towards oh, him. The oh, you time. two were friends? He only mentioned it a thousand times. Yeah. My dad made that shield. You don't deserve it at the end of the movie. I, yeah. Was that was really one of those things where that's where the richness of the MCU really does come in, is being able to drop a comment like that. And everybody does immediately kind of go, crap, yeah, these guys, you know, they're fighting. They are this tied together, though. You know, everything about who they are and their families and their past is tied in just this intimate way. And they're these two guys who are both trying to do the same thing. They've been on a team. They've saved the world. This is bad that they're now in this in this state, you know, and they are they are broken. They are significantly fundamentally, perhaps permanently broken. So I I really found it to be an effective movie in terms of showing how the characters evolve. But also, like I say, I mean that you can you can understand why they do this. They can make perfectly good theoretical arguments and they can still do just dumbass stuff that you want to slap them for. You know? I mean Tony in this the way he treats Wanda, the way he the way he comes after some of the other members, the way he goes along with his teammates being, you know, t- essentially thrown into this high security prison. There's a lot of things there that are just unconscionable for somebody to allow to happen who's got the level of power he has. Similarly, Cap is just out of control. And his actions to try and save his one friend he puts tremendous amounts of danger, not only on the public, but on all of the other people who trust him and follow him. You know, look at what he does to Ant-Man's life. Look at what he does to, to Hawkeye's life. Look at what he does to all these other people who are like, yeah, we're with you, Cap. And there's a responsibility he needs to take for that as well. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. Crap. I had a comment and now I forgot what it was. I'm sorry. I'll just throw in that uh, Iron Man deserves the Tony Stank comment at the end of the show. Yep. Stink, stank, stunk. (laughs) That is Tony Stark. So Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans described their dynamic uh, as being a bit like a marriage, saying, we love each other, but it's explosive. You're working towards the same goal, but you have a very different approach. Uh, There are very different approaches to it. It's blurry. And that's what makes it great. No one's right. No one's wrong. It's going to make it even harder for them to come to an agreement. And and I think you definitely, definitely see that throughout throughout this film. Spoiler alert, they really play off of that in uh, Endgame. And and really, that is, this continues at some level. Yeah, this this rift never really heals. I think they heal it at Endgame when they go back in time. I think that was a big part of it, but that's a whole different movie. And now we're talking about, but now we're spoiled. We didn't spoiler alert, but it's, uh, but it is, it's a, it's a thing that this is, this is a rift that's going to matter for a long time too. Mm -hmm. They don't just, they don't just forget about it. So, um, no, I, I was, I was pleased by the ending. I think that the, the just sort of, disposing of the other five super soldiers the way that they were was kind of interesting. It was this big MacGuffin through the whole movie. Yeah. And it turns out that it was actually just, uh, I just decided I could have invited you to a bar and showed you the DVD. 
but no, I'm yeah. going to go through this entire massive procedure just because, you so know. I took it in a different way than the way you just presented it. The entire show is about collateral damage and the impact of these guys okay. fighting uh, everywhere else. So they he took them to the most remote possible place where nothing they could do could impact anyone else. Else is going to get killed Maybe. with them blowing each other up there. There yeah. you go. That makes so, sense. There, there was an interesting uh, comment by the directors, the Russo brothers, talking about this. They were, and they were talking about the fact that, you know, they looked at the way that kind of the ending of the comic book Civil War ended, and they were like, you know, the more difficult, the more interesting place to leave this to leave a family fight is can these important relationships ever be repaired is this family broken permanently and you look at where this movie ends with tony reading the letter and that and even though you know they're secluded and and you know they're on the run and that it's interesting that that cap still says you know if you ever need me i'm here so there's like this you almost think mm -hmm. there's no way it can be repaired, but at the same time, there's this like glimmer of hope there that things can be repaired, that something can happen that can bring them back together again. Well, I think it shows that Cap's understanding of, hey, we've fought an alien invasion led by gods. We've fought Skynet or, you know, the, the, the infusion of... of uh, Yep. of AI taking over the world. We've fought every possible large evil, and there's probably more coming. That whatever our fight is, yeah. will come a time where we have to look past it. Plus, they really needed to set up Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. Yep. And I think did. It, mm -hmm. uh, I, was, I, was ready, I was ready to see what happened at that point. I was very interested by where they left it and the like. So I think it was. Um, they also planted the seeds for so much future content. The Fal I mean, obviously Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you know, the buddy cop story of, of those two um, was planted in this. I love the scene where, you know, they're in the Volkswagen. It's like, we moved the seat up. No, <laughs> like they really, and, and that whole, everything from that series came out of, this one movie um, as a buildup. But of course, everything, Infinity War and all that, and then game and the Spider-Man movies and everything, Black Panther. And then you even start to see some of the relationship between Vision and Scarlet Witch yeah, a little bit. It's all set up for them. So, yeah. yeah, there was a lot of, but but the thing is it was done effortlessly sort of as part of the story rather than really diversions it was just normal interactions that served to move the plot forward, but also gave you a better idea. And I think they had to do that because they had so many things to get through, so many characters that they had to really efficiently use all the scenes for sort of double duty. So next point I wanted to bring up is there is a lot of action in this film. Holy yep. mackerel. I did not remember how much action is in this film from the opening moments when the team is trying to take down crossbones to all the way at the very end when you've got iron man and captain america going at each other it it just feels like it's it's nearly 
nonstop action. Uh, you know, you've got the airport scene, you have the 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 highway scene where where they're trying to get Bucky. You you mm-hmm. have you know, uh, Rogers uh, bicep curling a helicopter. Every everything in this, it is it is a spectacle unlike anything I think I I have seen. And I I tell you what, I am here for it because this movie is two and a half hours long, but it did not feel like two and a half hours long when I'm watching it. And I even paused uh, about halfway through just to to go use the restroom. And I'm like, holy cow, a lot has happened in an hour and 15 minutes. And we've still got an hour and 15 minutes left. It It is amazing to me. And the other thing is the effects the practical effects that they did in order to do some of this stuff and and don't get me wrong there is cgi galore in this film as well but everything looked amazing there is we talked about like shazam a few weeks ago being especially dark uh you know uh the black panther sequel wakanda forever i felt like there was a lot of really darkly lit scenes a lot of to, mm-hmm. to, there, it was. I could see everything. Everything you could see what was going on, and and everything made sense. And you you weren't squinting or trying to figure out what was going on. There's there's just a lot of really really well choreographed action sequences in this film, and and really well shot, like cinematography. I mean yes. the the dark scenes in the like abandoned cave were probably better lit than a lot of the daytime scenes in Shazam or some of the recent Marvel movies. You know, Uh, it was easier to see the people because everything was, it it did seem almost like there was a a filter taken off because I'm so used to the subdued hues of all the modern superhero films. It just looked refreshing that there was kind of bright colors, bright skies, that sort of stuff that you'd actually see in this one that that made it really pleasant to watch so i think yeah just a beautiful looking movie it really was so i was i was watching one of the like the vignettes that they have the some of the extras uh of the movie in that and they talked about you know some of the cgi that was was in the film and and obviously some of the things that that chris evans is doing as Steve Rogers with the with the shield specifically had to be done with visual effects and and added sounds and different things like this. And they talked about, and I didn't think about this. One of, one of the key things about that is the ability of Chris Evans to mime throwing a shield. And I didn't even think about that. But if you think about all the things that Chris Evans is doing with that shield throughout this film, and, and the fact that it has to look realistic that he's throwing something. Otherwise, they, they talked about, you can't make it look real if the actor doesn't make it look real. Uh, you know, this this throwing attempt. And so it was really interesting. Uh, you know, hmm. they, they talked about how they went about adding and making the some of the offensive things that, that Steve Rogers does with the shield uh, make it look make it look good. Interesting. Huh. The the uh, the other Very really cool. interesting thing about the the CGI and visual effects in this film is 
they had nearly 20 different special effects studios working on this film. There, some of them include uh, Lola VFX, which worked on that de-aging of Tony Stark for his MIT demo, which, mm-hmm. by the way, what seeing like the 1980s version of Robert Downey Jr. in there, I, I think was really, really cool and looked really, really neat. Uh, in Do you remember there. what that program is called? Do not. Barf. Barf. Yeah, that's okay. His 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 demo was a barf. That's right. He's got to work <laughs> on that acronym. Uh, well, that sets up the... Spider Man uh, Far From Home. Actually, that that one line about calling it barf sets up the entire set Spider Man's Far From Home. That would be Mysterio. You so you had Method Studios, which worked on that helicopter scene that, that we talked about with uh, Chris Evans. Uh, I said curling the helicopter and then industrial light magic was primarily responsible for that large fight scene that we saw at the Germany airport. Oh, cool. All right, Mike, now is the time when Dwayne fills us with knowledge from all of his searching (laughs) out little tidbits, things he's found watching some of the making ofs and the like. So come on. Teach, just, teach us, Odoin. Oh, just teach interesting us. things about the film that I think are really, really kind of cool. And so typically we start with the working title of the film, uh, the kind of the code name for the film during filming. And the working title of this was called Sputnik. And in the comic, Sputnik was used as a trigger word for the Winter Soldier's mind control, much like the uh, sequence that they showed throughout this film uh, where they did longing Rusted 17, Daybreak, Furnace 9, Benign, Homecoming 1, and Freight Car uh, as kind of that sequence of words that would trigger the Winter Soldier Protocol. Does seem to be safer and a little more complex than just having him go off on someone because they accidentally mentioned Sputnik. Right, exactly. Reasonable, reasonable precaution. So, so another another comment. We, I think we have to talk about the helicopter scene because Tom Hiddleston actually confesses, uh, the actor who plays Loki in a bunch of the MCU films, confessed that his favorite moment in the MCU is in fact the helicopter scene. Saying, I mean, Chris Evans does a bicep curl with a helicopter. If you don't love that, we just can't be friends. And it is, it is absolutely just the most ridiculous thing it was in the very first trailer and and i think if if you ask somebody about this film i think if they've seen it recently that's definitely something that's going to jump out to it and and what's interesting is that's actually chris evans he is doing that that is not like cgi they apparently filmed him trying to basically uh bicep curl a crane in order to get his arms to kind of bulge like that. And in fact, they like, they actually, the, the take that they ended up filming, he actually hurt his arm while doing that. And, and it is the, the Russo brothers talked about it being one of the most powerful shots in the film. And, and like, it is, it, it is all part of the fact that, Chris Evans went to the gym and like bulked up and became just this embodiment of the the Steve Rogers Captain America 
character that he wanted to be. And they really wanted to show just the physical strength that Steve Rogers could, could, could embody. And that's where this whole thing was set up. So he was straining against a crane that, that they had. And so that's what he was pulling against to actually get his, 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 his muscles to bulge like that. And, and it really does feel like crazy amazing when you, when you see it on the screen and it is, it is something to be seen. Tom Cruise would have actually had a, t- a helicopter and just, you know, <laughs> you would have tried, been. done the actual bicep curl with a helicopter on the side sure. of the building. Sure. So, there you so, go. So, uh, during, during filming of the airport fight scene, there is a truck that has the Bluth family logo. And that is the same stair car or portable staircase for an airplane that was the subject of many running jokes from the show Arrested Development. And mm-hmm. the Russo brothers, who are the directors of this film, directed the pilot for Arrested Development, as well as several other episodes of Arrested Development TV shows. Really so, where they kind of made their name a lot of it. Yes. That's awesome. Yes. So there was an Easter egg for, for Bluth in there. Um, Joe Russo actually cites the movie Seven, as well as the movie Fargo, as being influences for the film. I thought those were actually really Odd. interesting uh choices as influences for the film but it it does show that there's like it's a lot more than just kind of a an action punching sort of film because both of those films i think have a lot of character development a lot of drama in addition to to action zemo as uh kind of playing off the bad guy in seven i can't watch seven ever again by the way so i don't remember much of seven and i'm going to try and keep it that way so there you go. So you don't know what's in the box. I do know what's oh, in the box. God. And I, I don't want to go through that again. So I'm just going to try and forget. So finally, there there was one last thing here that I think was really interesting. And it is that Robert Downey Jr. actually had a very small role in this film in, in initial adaptations. And, and uh, Robert Downey Jr. actually pressed Marvel to try and get a much bigger role. And in fact, he ends up actually with just five minutes less uh, screen time than Captain America in this film when it when it's all said and done. But there was some back and forth with the studio on this. And in fact, they had a plot idea if they couldn't use Iron Man as this big, important part of the film. And they, there was some information about it, which... If the Russos couldn't have used Downey Jr. in this film, they would have they would have used a Mad Bomb storyline from the Captain America comics for this film, which would eventually be used as a plot point in the first season of the Agent Carter TV series. The premise of the film would have centered around Zemo detonating the Mad Bomb, which would have turned hordes of people into berserkers to present a physical threat to Captain America while still pitting heroes against each other as some would be zombified due to the Mad Bomb to satisfy the emotional component of the film. 
as interesting as that kind of sounds, I am very happy that we got the version of this film that we got instead. I, I don't even, we're recording this on April 1st, and I think you just made that up as a lie, because that no, is ridiculous that... and preposterous. It would have been a terrible <laughs> we, movie. We are Mad not Bomb? recording this on April 1st, first of all. Secondly, yeah, April, this second. is... Is it? This It is the Never second. Mind. And, <laughs> and there is... There, there Fine, is... then I guess the Mad Bomb plot must be true. <laughs> it so. is. I'm not saying it was a good plot. I'm saying that this is terrible. They, they revealed that this was something they were considering had they not been able to use uh, the final Robert choice Downey was Jr. the better choice. Yes, the final choice yeah. was in fact the much better choice. Crazy. I don't think we would have been talking about how much we loved this film if that would have been the plot that would have of this film as a result. Terrible. So, there you go. All right. And then, now that now that you've terrified me with that possible ending, <laughs> let's, yes. uh, let's move on. Let's move on to some of the from the comics, which, again, yes. is the point where Dwayne sifts through and finds interesting information about the comics. I should do this, but I'm evidently lazy because every time we do the movies... <laughs> You take over yes. this part because it's kind of your I, thing. So I, I love do. that. Bring so, it on, man. So obviously the first thing that jumped out to me, uh, which is crazy because, again, I, it wasn't necessarily that. I didn't catch this the first time. But now, since you've been exposing me to the comics, Ant-Man on an arrow from Hawkeye love is taken directly from a comic book cover, Avengers 223. In fact, I read that issue. So yep. I, I know specifically about that. So that is that is that is directly from there. Uh, in the film, we see Falcon has a sidekick drone, Falcon drone called Red Wing. Red Wing is an actual Falcon that is Sam Wilson's sidekick from the comics. Yep. You you mentioned actually Sharon Carter's eulogy at Peggy's funeral. That is actually taken uh, in part from a speech in which Captain America. Uh, which Captain America made in The Amazing Spider-Man number 537. says, doesn't matter what the press says, doesn't matter what the politicians and the mob says, doesn't matter if the whole country decides that something's wrong, is something right. The nation was founded on one principle above all else, the requirement that we stand up for what we believe, no matter the odds or the consequences. When the mob and the press and the whole world tell you to move, your job is to plant yourself like a tree beside the river of truth and tell the whole world, no, you move. I can't Very. tell you how much how much that sort of thinking scares me, though, because how does he know he's right? Yeah. Does he get his truth? But nonetheless, yes, super powerful stuff. I did yeah. not know that was actually a quote from one of the comics. That's yeah. interesting. It very, very similar and very, I, I think that version is, it was really well done. And I think the actual, the, the written word uh, from this, I, I don't even know the context necessarily, but, but very, very well written there as well. Oh, very cool. Two, two last things. One is uh, you, we have that image of Iron Man blasting Captain America's raised shield. That was actually the, Part seven cover from Civil mm -hmm. War, the comic book series that we read last week. 
And finally, the post credit scene, we see Peter's web shooter emitting a light, which strongly, strongly resembles the Spidey single signal seen in the comics. And that was mm-hmm. the debut of the Spidey single signal on screen. There you go. Got a, at least one, maybe a couple others for you. Um, one that I think is is interesting is that you did have an injury or death in both of them on the side of um, uh, or one or the other because Goliath died in the comics as something that was kind of a big sort of emotional arc there. And then you have Rhodey, you know, badly injured in, in the TV show. So we had we had a kind of a, uh, a casualty among the heroes uh, in each of them. And then a lot of the things that that kind of the intermediary was shield in the comics and the fact that shield is completely gone from this really made it a very different book in terms of you had to use the un and the like and really the un becomes kind of the stand-in for what shield and maria hill would have been in the comics last week sure so since all the helicarriers have been dumped into the ocean, they uh, they had to come up with a different, you know, inter- international multinational organization to to be the one that's trying to rein things in. All right, Dwayne. So we have finished, and now we are at the point of the face-off. So we read two sets of books last week. Um, I got down here and was horrified to find out that Mike is not a regular listener to the podcast yet, but hopefully now we'll uh, we'll have him on more and and he'll know the know the plan. But uh, last week we read two sets of books. We read Civil War one through seven, and then Civil War um, oh Civil War Civil War Frontline. Yeah. So last week we read two sets of books: Civil War one through seven, the main series, and then Civil War Frontline which was a series of books that sort of took a, a look at the Civil War in, in the Marvel Comics universe from the standpoint of a couple of journalists and a bunch of other folks, like within the prison system and, and things like this. We're just going to look at Civil War 1 through 7, though, the, the big series, versus Captain America Civil War, the movie. Dwayne, which one of these would you have to say you think you like best? <laughs> Oh, God. I I told you last week, this is the movie that transitioned me from an Iron Man fan to an MCU fan. And it, I think I actually like the movie better now than I did before, which is just unbelievable to me because this is a a just unreal Mm -hmm. film to me in its own right. The books last week were really good and there was a lot to digest there and i think it was very well written it looked great i was actually pleasantly surprised by the frontline books that we read and in fact i finished reading the rest of of the frontline mm-hmm. series but this movie is far and away better for, to me um it, it just it it takes i think the essence of the books and just expounds on it to just this level that i wouldn't have thought possible it like it it makes i i i got so invested in the captain america character after this film and just all these other heroes and just 
the universe as a whole and just everything they were trying to do this this is some of the best storytelling in the film level that i think i've seen and it, it transcends to me superhero films this is just a fantastic film Alrighty then so this is not unusual mike Dwayne, <laughs> Dwayne is notoriously difficult difficult to get to pick the comics I, I this week can't argue the point at all, though. One of the problems that Civil War had was that as a seven-book series that was the face of a 96 or whatever book group, you know, sort of event that had tie-ins and tendrils everywhere, the comics were not as concise or as, as sort of compact as they could have been. And there's a there's a point at which this thing just distills so many ideas. I think Cap and Iron Man's motivations and what they what they want to do, what they believe, is is just shown so well and in such a very concise and, and easily digestible way that it sets the whole thing up for success. And then yeah. It's a long movie, and it doesn't feel like a long movie. It gives you tons of spectacle, but in between it, you know, one of the things I'm starting to question about a lot of the newer MCU movies is you come out of them, and you haven't really had to make any decisions. You haven't been asked to think about any big issues. And this thing makes you think. It's an actual movie that has... It has something to say, or at least questions to ask, of of the people viewing it, and so yeah, I would I would agree, it's a movie movie two comics nothing this week. So, begrudgingly, I must admit that uh, that this is a clear win for the uh, the MCU. So, and, and yeah, the the books are not bad. And, and no, like the, no, those, excellent comic books. There is like the like I said, the frontline series is actually really interesting and really thought provoking, I think, along the lines of this movie. And yep. and I think it it kind of asks some of those same questions. And I think they were able to 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 ask those questions in the movie that that were kind of that are kind of brought up in the in the frontline series, which I think yep. makes perfect sense given given what was happening. And in some ways, um, Ben Urich and the the other reporter have the same transition that Tony and and Steve have, where each of them starts like one of them starts writing from the liberal paper side of things and ends up on the side of registration by the end. And one starts on the conservative side and sort of ends up on the side of anti-registration by the end because they see things that change their mind about things. So it's kind of got some similar themes. But but I do think that it's hard for the events because these Marvel events are so big. It really is hard for them to get as compact and just digestible a story as what the Russos have been able to create here, which is just a, a fantastic sort of big movie that still maintains sort of this linear thrust directly through it. So, yeah, well played. Mike, what did you think of it? You were, you're a fan of this one as well? So backing up a little bit, 
I enjoyed Iron Man when it first came out, but I wasn't a huge the first one. The very first one cool. wasn't a huge fan of it. It was Captain America, the first Avenger, mm-hmm. which I probably saw as the third or fourth movie to come that I saw in, in my order of seeing that made me get really excited about the MCU. Okay. And to this day, I think the first Avenger is probably my favorite or one of my favorite of the MCU. Movies. It is brilliant. I love um, it. From then out, I became much more of a Cap fan. And this movie, I I tend to lump it more into an Avengers movie than a Captain America movie. Because even when I think back before we rewatched it, I was thinking back to Captain America movies. And all, all I thought of was First Avenger and mm-hmm. uh, um, Winter Soldier. Because I just mentally put this in with all of those other yep. Avengers movies. But uh, re-watching it, I think it actually moved up my list considerably both on the significance it had tying a lot of stories together at the time so that the Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame would make sense. Yep. Because they had to do a lot of work to start bringing things together in advance. Um, But also what it set up for some of the better things that came after it. Um, Different storylines and things that came from from little parts of this movie here and there with Spider-Man, with Black Panther, with everybody else. Um, You know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and all of these offshoots that went different directions um, were all put into this one movie. It's Mm -hmm. it's very good. I think we just sound like three uh, MCU bobos over here just just propping it up. Because you, though, and this is, Mike and I have talked a lot about, especially Star Wars stuff, but also this. And you love the fan service elements and the world building and the universe building. Where I am more like, tell me a great story. And if it happens to build the universe out, great. But I'm less interested. But I can see where for somebody who does want the universe building, this is a movie that, yeah, it it had so many things that were critical. And yet it didn't feel like, you know, some of the elements in the newer movies where you've just got uh, Watson or one of the hobbits, or I can't remember his name wandering around and and taking up part of Wakanda forever, really doing stuff that made no sense to me. Because they're trying to, because set, they're up trying to set up Thunderbolts or they're trying yeah. to set up something else. Everything here was the way I would want it, where it satisfies you because you're building out the bigger world, and it satisfies me because it all serves the story in a way that feels very, very sort of like contained and and organic. You can take someone who doesn't know much about what's going on in the MCU to this movie, and they will enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that going into the current movies, a lot of times you're going to have to spend the entire drive to the theater explaining every little thing that led up to it, just yeah. so that they can have some understanding of where scene one begins. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's true. Well, this serves both of those. Hey, Dan, that is going to wrap it up. Where are we headed next? We are off to taking a look at another sequel. I'm going to take a look at Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2's sort of precursor comics. So in order to get ready for that, because we've already read sort of some generic 
Guardians books, right? Wandered through a few series of that. I wanted to go back and get you sort of origin stories from three of the characters that are going to be in this book. Two of them new and one existing. So we're going to read some books on Ego from Thor 132, 133, and 228. We're going to read some books on Mantis from Avengers 112 to 115 and 120 to 24. We're going to read some books on Gamora from Strange Tales 178 to 181. I am fully prepared for you to hate these because they're <laughs> everything you've been telling me not to do. They're older mm -hmm. books. We're reading more books from different things instead of one run. But I've been finding you stuff that doesn't challenge you for a while. So now it's time to make you grumpy <laughs> by making you read some of the, the Jim Starlin like Strange Tales stuff that I love from back in the day. Some of these Avengers books are goofy, but but they're fun. And the Thor stuff, that's actually like classic 60s, early 70s sorts of Marvel, which, yeah, you normally hate. So I apologize for this in advance, but it'll be something for the listeners to uh, to enjoy you ripping into the uh, the old the old Marvel stuff. You're so, just like Steve go. Rogers when he when he says, you know, I I wish I could do I wish I could walk away from a bad situation like that. And then Tony Stark <laughs> says, yeah, no, you no, you don't. And he's like, yeah, no, that's correct. No, I'm I'm quite happy to put these out there. I think it's it's some fun stuff. We'll we'll see how it goes. I believe as Zemo says, there's a little speck of green in the blue of his eyes right now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there you go. Mike, it was great having you on the show with us this week. I really appreciate you coming on and and sharing sharing some thoughts on on uh, Captain America: Civil War. Thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been fun. We've been hanging out, eating pizza, going to uh, comic conventions, and uh, now I've got a ten hour drive back to Fargo tomorrow. During which time, I suspect the temperature is going to drop something like. 60 degrees i think there's a blizzard scheduled for tuesday in fargo again or something so but you did get deep dish pizza from lou malnati's which if you're going to have some chicago listeners this is the debate lou malnati's is the superior chicago style i don't want to hear it mm -hmm. um, but you also got to eat a chicago style hot dog yes with all of the accoutrement yes all i did is you just put enough ketchup on it and it's no. fine so <laughs> All well, right, quite and, delicious. With, and with that, that's going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. Have some thoughts on Captain America Civil War, the whether it's the comic books or the MCU movie. We'd love to hear them. You can email us. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com. Or you can reach out to us via social media. We are on Twitter at Comics Over Time. Dan, I'm excited to go back to Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I remember enjoying the film, but I definitely do not know much about Ego or, frankly, much of the actual cast of characters in Guardians. So this week's going to be a bit of a learning experience. Yes, it's going to be fun. And and when you're reading these comics, especially the some of the early ones, keep in mind the colors and some of the other stuff and just the weird things going on. 
because Guardians 2 also takes a lot from the color palettes of sort of the Kirby universe and some of that crazy old uh, Marvel stuff. So it is uh, well worth taking a look at. I'm just kind of seeing, seeing as you go. Sir, it's been fun. We'll talk to you uh, sometime soon. See you next week. Long episode this week, but I definitely think it's worth it. Thank you all for hanging in there. And until next week, everybody, take care. See you later, folks.